Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. Yep. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> uh, isn't that really good? Yeah. Y'all are so scared. Man alive. Um, welcome to those that have walked through the door for the very first time, man. Welcome home. Uh, you're in a safe place. I haven't said this in a while, but I think it, it warrants to be said tonight, right now, in this moment. And the fact that for a lot of people, you're not really sure when a place is safe or if a people are safe until you put something out there that comes over those walls that Deb was talking about just a little while ago. And that what we have found for a lot of, a lot of years is that when I, when I place my heart out there for you to take care of it, that's the only way I'm going to find out if you're a safe people. Knowing that a lot of times that someone may not take care of it in just the way that I want them to, but that is the only way that I'll find out. And what I'm finding out about the bunch that walks through this door, that on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're extremely safe. And what we're really learning how to do with one another is unite. And what we have said, we're not going to be identified by an address. We're just going to be identified by the fact that we love this guy named Jesus and that he loves us big time. Amen. It's who we are. He's a good, good father. And so tonight, if you were with us last week, you know last week we set sail. We just started following this guy named Peter. And we were placing ourselves in the midst of how they would live life back in the day when Peter and the gang would would stroke out these letters on this parchment, this leather, this, this stuff that would come out. And, that, and if you were scattered, that's who Peter was writing the, the first letter, his first letter. He was writing to a people that had been scattered. And so for us, it would be like, all right, you live here in Murfreesboro, and just crazy starts to happen because people are starting to find out you love this guy named Jesus, and they don't dig that, and so they're after you. And so in their being after you, we scatter. And so as we scatter, guess what goes with us? Amen. The incredibly cool news of Jesus. And what Peter is doing, these letters are called the letter of hope. And, And so what he was doing, he was writing to encourage and to say, look, we know that you are going to be scattered. We knew it. Because see, the guy I was hanging out with before he was put on something that looked like that, and before he came blasting out of the earth, he told us, he told us, he said, look, you'll have many trials. You'll have a ton of sorrows. You will be scattered. Every one of you will leave. Even you, Peter. Even you that says that you'll die with me. You're going to run. And he did. But yet, Jesus searches out Simon Peter to say, I'm setting my church upon you, the rock. So Peter is pulling from the words that he knew Jesus told him when Jesus, before He placed Himself on the cross and before He did empty out the earth and before that when we said yes to Him that we were filled with the Holy Spirit and before everyone was scattered, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. 
He said, so in your being scattered, in your trials and sorrows, where you are to live now is knowing that the fact your trials and sorrows do not determine the love of God for you. Amen. Say it again. I hope I can. <laughs> I'm really just kind of winging it right now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Our trial, <laughs> and I really couldn't remember. <laughs> that our trials and our sorrows don't determine His love for us. That in Him overcoming the world, He is saying, look, the reason I emptied out the earth is so I could live in my favorite place ever that's within you. It's called the Holy Spirit. And so now I get to find out how to walk down this trail. And so if you were with us, we said, man, we're going to go hiking for a little while. And in our hiking, we're going to see these next rectangles that are up there, and there's the white one, and so we're starting to walk. And within the trails that we're on, trials come. Right? And so our trail at times is easy. Sometimes our trail starts to get a little arduous, like the fiery gizzard. That was rough. And yet all through that, the circumstances of the trail do not determine who we are. It powers us. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to live that out. One of the verses that hit, hit me a long time ago was that in Acts when the, when the brothers and sisters were getting together. And one part of that, they said they had everything in common. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. How did they know? How did they know they had everything in common with each other? Well, they did what we're about to do tonight. They, they're doing, they did what we've been doing for almost now for the past five years is getting ourselves back to first century church. And you're doing it beautifully. And you're bringing more and more with you to say, look, God is who He says He is. And I am who He says I am. You're going to hear that. You're going to, our tour guide tonight is Salita. She's going to lead us down the trail. And she's going to show us the next rectangles in her life. You might be able to say me too in some of her trails. I don't know. If so... I pray that God cuts you loose and goes to her. So, Salita, you come on up. We're going to let you start sharing here. So you come on up. Delilah, you come up over here too. Just for a second. I think I got it all here. Yep. Okay. Now, Salita, you come on over here. Delilah, you pray for your mama. Okay. All right. When she says amen... You are cut loose. Okay. Dear Lord, thank you for putting my mom somewhere safer than we used to be in. Uh, you've definitely worked a miracle in our lives, and we both have no idea where we would be without you. Um, it's a blessing for her to be able to come here every Saturday and even tell her story and how you've worked your wonderful ways through her, and I just don't know what I would do without her. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 I don't give her enough credit. You know what? I'll go ahead and share that earlier this morning I struggled a little bit with being able to come and um, be vulnerable and courageous. <laughs> I'm digging for that, but... Uh, it's one thing for me to do that and talk about myself and give you myself, but 
Delilah's part of myself, and she has her own journey and her own privacy, and I was worried that um, something might not be safe about that for, for her, but um, there's going to be some Me Too's for her that are a part of the story, and that makes her a safe place, too, so I just feel silly for not giving her the credit, or you, <laughs> that y'all deserve. So I'm Solita, and I'm in love with y'all. I'm in love with you. Um, okay, so I spoke at the Simply Free Conference, was it last week? It was last week, oh my gosh. And uh, those were um, unfamiliar faces. And so tonight I'm here with my family. And um, even though Mike and Debbie asked me to share exactly the way I did, um, if I felt led to <laughs> what I shared at the conference, and I'm going to for the most part, but I thought um, seeing as that your family, I would um, let you know that you're gonna be in the story. Uh, let's see, faces, your faces are for the most part the same faces that were here when I got here. Here, doesn't matter if we were at Seagull or here, y'all are the here, you're the, it's not the address, it's the church. So when I first got here, I was a train wreck. I, uh, the only thing that wasn't a part of my baggage was that I wasn't drunk. But that was a matter of times if thing, if, if time if things didn't change. I'm gonna talk about miracles tonight. I'm gonna to pray before I begin for whatever miracle you need to be made manifest. And I'm going to suggest that maybe it's already yours. Emmanuel, God with us, prevenient grace upon grace. Miracles aren't always as obvious as the blind being made able to see the lame being able to walk, the dead being brought back to life. Sometimes we have to dig. We have to dig deep through messy, stinky trash to find them. Sometimes our miracles are buried under our flesh, our denial, our unwillingness, our resentment. And then one day, there it is, life-changing transformation. I pray that if you are waiting like I was, stop. Seek your miracle with fierce, relentless intention. Now that's easy for me to say now that I'm in the sunlight of the spirit, but um, have courage. So um, I'm already feeling a little bit more calm. My body is physically eh. <laughs> My voice is blah, but blah. I'm gonna be all right. I'm being recorded. Try to be mindful of that. All right, so um, I'm gonna own that I of myself am a fearful person by nature. I've always been afraid. And for a long time, probably from the age of 14 to 38, I drank that fear away. I was always fearful of what you thought, what my family thought, what my friends thought, what my coworkers thought. I looked to all of you on the outside to make me okay with me. And in that fear, I made you my gods. 
Today, it is Almighty God who empowers me. It is his indwelling Holy Spirit that gives me courage. It is the one true God who sent his son Jesus to die for my sin debt, that I may live and thrive in freedom that emboldens me to share today. I just want to praise him for that and to ask his blessings over all of the open hearts, the broken hearts, and the me too's that might be here tonight. And so I would like to first begin telling you a little bit, oh here it is, about um, the early years of Salida, but I don't want it to be super, well, actually this is super specific. Um, it's an exercise that I was given to do by a friend a long time ago. It's where you, um, it's a series of I am statements where you just think about your, your upbringing or your past, objects, places, smells, foods, people, and that, that you know stand out to you for whatever reason and you put an I am statement in front of it. And so instead of getting into a drunkalog of, you know, poor me, I thought I would share you with you my, um, my I am poem. I am from wine bottles. I am from a record player playing Rolling Stones songs. I am from my mother's octagon jewelry box that held fancy things and my baby teeth. I am from the lacy black shawl with fringe. I am from pea-soaked sheets in the middle of the night. I am from potted plants and flowers on patios. I am from palm trees and beaches. I am from concrete utility poles and sidewalks and tumbleweeds. I am from the tasty freeze and deep fried burritos. I am from the red barn with white trim on Auto Street. I am from the garden that Lori and Raymond and Catherine worked with their hands. I am from stomach aches from the crabapple trees behind Mandeville School where I wasn't supposed to ride my bike. I am from workers. I am from the charming, I've had an eloquent sufficiency, and the funny, get in here and eat, I ain't cooking no more today. And the tender, what you gonna be when you grow up, baby? And the harsh, why don't you act your age? I am from circling everything that I wanted for Christmas, just circling, in the best catalog, and snowy Christmases with my family in Michigan. I am from amazing summer vacations to historical landmarks with my grandparents and epic road trips with my papa. I am from dance classes and studios and English teachers who saw a strange and wonderful girl. I am the dancer inside of the jewelry box. I am from hiding in my heart, alone and afraid. Where I am from brought me here. By grace and mercy, I am here. So, 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 that was my life up until about four years ago. At the Simply Free Conference, they handed me tissue at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. The hanky. Look at that. Okay. Awesome. So up until four years ago, that was, that was uh, what I lived out. That's what I believed, and that's what I lived out. And it wasn't all bad. Um, I, like many people, though, had swallowed the wrong Jesus. I had screwed up my life beyond re redemption. Sure, I could believe that God could take away my dis-ease, 
but I wasn't so convinced that he would. For the first six months of my sobriety, I was dry. I had accepted that I was doomed to a life of boredom and mediocrity. And I was, still, was I still afraid? No, I was terrified. In fact, had I not met up with two women who came into the workhouse and taught me about the Jesus that I know today, and had I not begun to believe out who he says I am, I have little doubt that I would be drunk today. Sobriety is not sufficient for recovery, but God's grace is. So these two women, women who I mentioned represent an agency called Doors of Hope, which was a relatively new agency at the time, a nonprofit that purposed to help women like myself who were re-entering society after incarceration break the cycle of whatever lies were no longer working. I'd like to share a little piece um, that I wrote about my experience with that program that has now broadened its reach to serve women outside of the correctional system as well as men in the Braveheart program. Um, I'm still living life with these people, so this is just one little very small aspect of what um, they've given me. I, like most Doors of Hope clients, am no stranger to bondage, to slavery. We know too well what it means to be bound by the flesh and slaves of self. Most of us have experienced the obvious bondage of incarceration, but our flesh, our bodies, have also experienced what it is like to be slaves of food, sex, drugs, alcohol, stealing, manipulation. We depended on our survival skills and they failed us. When I met up with Doors of Hope while I was incarcerated, I thought that my freedom and independence would look like me being able to take care of myself and my daughter without needing help from anybody. I saw single mothers all around me who seemed to be able to make it work on their own and I wanted to be like them. I carried tr a tremendous amount of guilt for my failure at being able to succeed on my own. When I was released from incarceration, a part of me stayed there. Even though I was free to walk without chains and breathe fresh air, I was nowhere near free. That was what I was looking for in Doors of Hope. I wanted them to teach me how to live freely and independently. But rules and policies and weekly meetings and accountability and random urine screens felt like a more palatable form of probation. I didn't see how any of that was getting me closer to my goals of independence and freedom. When my daughter and I moved into one of the life program homes that actually had two kitchens, I thought, well, this will be okay. We can just live on this one side and everybody else can live on the other side and <laughs> cross won't even pass. But I was wrong about that. I'm happy that I forgot that this was part of what I was gonna share tonight, Kayla, but Kayla was in the other kitchen, so to speak. She was <laughs> who we started living some life with. We were encouraged to live in community, to share the kitchen, to share chores, to eat together, and to live life together. I did not readily embrace that, but that was where I started redefining my freedom. During that season, I needed help with just about every aspect of my life. Transportation, childcare, Delilah was about nine at that time. Uh, groceries, recovery meetings, church, I discovered that I was empowered to ask for help. 
I discovered the benefits of interdependence, a living life with help, support, encouragement, and prayers of others. I discovered that giving of myself not only helped others, but it made me feel good too. Slowly, that guilt that had kept me from living in the lies of failure began to melt. As time passed, in living within boundaries and accepting help and earnestly seeking truth, I experienced the freedom that had for so long eluded me. That was it, the truth. Through much dying to self, I am today able to walk in truth with myself, with God, and with others. It is the truth that makes me free. And it is my joy and my honor and my unending blessing to say that I am still a client of Doors of Hope, and I always will be. Today, I have a kin sister who is going through a similar uncertain season that I went through. I get to pray for her every day, and I get to encourage her with letters every week. I get to share my experience, strength, and hope with clients coming up behind me, and it is great fun. I also get to sit on the advisory board for Doors of Hope, where I get to be a part of what goes on behind the scenes to ensure that this program stays around for as long as there are women and men ready for a miracle. And so that brings me to my last pre-prepared piece that I wrote that touches on what I how I define miracles, because uh, I promised you I would talk a lot about those. I wrote a piece called A Fresh Start for one of the Doors of Hope newsletters. What does it take to make a fresh start? On the surface, that's a loaded million dollar question. When I think about the way it was for me, I think, well, what doesn't it take? It seems like people kept me afloat and enabled me my entire life so that I could live life on my own terms. So what does it take? Sobriety, job, home, car, education, clothes, debts paid, custody back, counseling, mentoring. What doesn't it take to make a fresh start and how many external factors need to be in place before a person can say he or she is ready for a fresh start? The more I thought about this question, the more simple the answer became. The fresh start began the moment I became willing to end. What does that mean? It means that I couldn't accept that a fresh start was needed until I accepted that my way wasn't working, that there was even a problem. I'm not a stupid person or a careless person or a mean person, and yet I cycled through the criminal justice system for over 20 years. I destroyed relationships. I failed to find any true meaning or purpose in my life and contributed the bare minimum of, of to society as a whole. That was life on my terms. A few years ago, those terms brought me to a crossroads. As the movie line says, get busy living or get busy dying. Having made the decision that life on my terms was no longer working, I took the action to begin learning how to live life on life's terms. That process is an inside job. It's a spiritual job, and it's not about the external stuff. Until what was going on with me inside got sorted out, which is a lifelong process, no amount of external stuff was going to fix me. Addiction had placed me well beyond human aid. 
So how could I ever expect human aid to save me? Nonsense. What I needed was a miracle. The good news is that the age of miracles is still with us. The moment that I accepted that life on my own terms was no longer working, that I needed help learning how to live life on life's terms was a miracle. My circumstances were different and challenging and complicated and absolutely solvable when I was ready to learn and try to do things differently than I have ever done them before. God placed helpers in my life who provided that education and mentoring and accountability and resource linkage that bring about the external securities that find myself, find a person like myself who had nearly lost all living in recovery and freedom. I have the sobriety, I have the job, I have the home, I have the clothes, I have the education, I have the custody, I have the debts paid in full. Not just talking about money. Amen. Amen. I have the stuff. But the neat thing is that if I were to lose it all tomorrow and be forced to make a new fresh start, I would be able to do it because it is well with my soul. Another neat thing is, well, it takes surrender to find recovery and freedom. Recovery and freedom can never be taken away unless they are surrendered. What does it take to make a fresh start? It takes a miracle. That's all. I am. So now what? Does being a miracle make my life easy and soft? Mm-mm. <laughs> nope. Life didn't get easy when I got sober. It got harder in many ways, and then it got different. It's a tough life for everyone. And um, if I'm not mindful to check in with my Creator every morning and every night to praise Him, to ask Him for what I need, I'm in danger of believing out the old lies. And before you know it, I'm not grateful. And not far behind that, I'm thirsty. It was our sweet nanny, or Carol, who introduced me to a new concept last year, about this time, of thanks living. In fact, um, I remember we were talking about the Thanksgiving holiday. We were talking about how much better it is for us if we have a mindset of daily thanks living as opposed to a one day a year giving of thanks. So I do try to do that. I commune with God every morning. I take that a little step further and I share those meditations on social media and with my church. One of my most favorite tools of recovery has been in a fearless effort to be transparent, to show those who would read that the struggle is real. To testify that God's blessings are abundant, specific, and intricately detailed in proportion with my prayer, my praise, and my obedience. My most recent mountain has been with an endeavor to obtain my restricted driver license. Since 2011, I have relied on my feet mass transit, and the kindness of friends and family for transportation. 
after I received a promotion at work and um, also got a credential that garnered me a little bit more money and salary, I um, decided that maybe it was time to commence to start to begin to consider thinking about a car. <laughs> After I graduated from the DUI court program, which was due largely to the assistance of Doors of Hope and you, thank you, my caseworker told me that I was eligible for a restricted license. I never pursued it because I didn't have a car. But after four years of walking and asking others to sacrifice for me, I finally decided that it felt like time. I began talking to God about it and praying for guidance. That was around springtime of this year. The effort saw many blessings, and I've experienced several rugs being pulled out from under me. I have misinterpreted God's will, and I am still walking. But I have, I walked past a beautiful car every morning when I leave the house, so uh, <laughs> there's hope and uh, God's will as well. So um, I know that many of you read those devotionals that I post every morning, and you may remember one that I had um, been talking about, this funky box where I was trying to make pieces fit together and felt like I was trying to be in his will, but I just could not uh, navigate anywhere. I wasn't getting anywhere. In fact, I was I was um, starting to lose a little bit of hope and felt like Sisyphus, the the mythological figure who was doomed to push the boulder up the mountain for eternity. And uh, so I just asked God to put me on top. Well, then another point of it that I didn't realize until I started thinking today as I was preparing was. Uh, you all pointed out to me uh, in one of Mike's sermons that the mountain is often me. <laughs> so I asked God to put me on top of the mountain, on top of my flesh, on top of myself, so that I could see clearly what stretched out in all directions, whether it was green pastures or fire or just an unending range of mountains to to help me kind of figure out what, what to do. And so he did. I mean, it was almost immediately that afternoon that I, I received some clarity and some peace in my heart about what needed to happen next. So later that evening, my mother sent me this text and it didn't make a whole, whole lot of sense. Her take on Sisyphus was unique. Um, that's all I know how to say about it. Um, I, I praise you all for also teaching me how to love her right where she is because I wasn't always able to do that. So my response, I, don't, I, don't, I deleted it since then. I, w I shared it at the conference. But what my response to her was, I think, is worthy to share again. And that was that Sisyphus was doomed to push the same boulder of the same mountain every day. There was no victory. There was no hope. There was... There wasn't even a sense of I reached the top and start over, but I know I reached the top the day before, so I'll, you know, I can, I know I'll get there. It was hopeless, and there's always going to be a mountain, and it's always going to be me. <laughs> but the mountain changes every day. It's a new struggle. There are victories. We are not doomed to 
push the same boulder up the same mountain. We learn and we're given grace. And God's grace is sufficient. Amen. Not only is it sufficient, but it is prevenient. It's always been with us. Always will be. And there's nothing that we can ever do to be separated from it. Amen. Amen. God reveals proofs to me daily that I am not the sinner saved by grace who I for so long believed myself to be. I am a saint, beloved, forgiven, and completely accepted in his sight. Today I thirst no more. My cup runneth over. In the days that followed that conference, Mary Catherine had expressed in text that she was happy that I got to share our story. And I knew that she meant your, my story. (laughs) But God was in her fingers and she texted our story. And, uh, And it really is our story. It's God's story. And we get to all be in it together. And I'm delighted and well pleased. I love you each one and I thank you for letting me share. Stay standing, Deb. You guys come on up. I just I want to share this, this verse. If you were to look at the verse in 1 Peter 1, and it says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now, gang, look. In the day that Peter stroked this out, there were none of this. There was none of this. So ask yourself, how did they know their faith was genuine? And it says that when these trials will show that your faith is genuine, it is being tested as fire test and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so, in Salida sharing on her trail what, what the world is seeing, that how her faith is genuine, is that yes, things don't happen in just the fashion that we want them to, right? Praise God they don't. <laughs> but it keeps us going down the trail. And so a world can look at us on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and see that your faith is genuine because you're not allowing your circumstances to identify you. Amen. You're going to be identified here in a second as we crank this music back up and how we participate and unite with one another through the bread and the cup, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the love feast. And I'm saying we join in that together and partake of this God, this amazing resurrection power of Jesus Christ that Salida has just given us today. Amen? I'm going to pray over this. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for this moment. I thank You that we are all going to participate in this love feast. Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't really quite understand what all that means, I pray that they would get with someone they feel safe with and have them explain that. Uh, Lord, if not, they can come find my little bald head, and I'd love to give to take them down the trail to you. And uh, so, Father, we love you, and we thank you for emptying the tomb for this moment. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.